Welcome to Premier Health Now on air. Each episode, we introduce you to local healthcare professionals who share timely tips for staying healthy. We're glad you've joined us. I'm your moderator, Leslie Lane, and with me today is Dr. Laura Tully, ear, nose, and throat specialist with Premier ENT Associates. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me today. And Dr. Joseph Allen, primary care physician with Vandalia Family Care. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. News reports continue to tell us about how rough this winter has been for flu, but there haven't been as many headlines, if any, about another winter misery, and that one is one that probably hits even more of us. That's the common cold. So we call it the common cold for a good reason. It's probably safe to say we've all experienced it. But is there something about the common cold that people just don't know? Uh, Yes, I think that talking about what people know and what they don't know about the cold uh, and what they think they know about the cold. Uh, Lots of folks think that it's a bacterial infection. They need an antibiotic to treat it. I think that's probably the biggest thing I run into in my office. And uh, having that discussion on why an antibiotic may not help because it is caused mostly by viruses. Uh, The common cold has many different forms, but generally they're caused by a virus that is not treated by an antibiotic. It's a lot of symptomatic treatments. There isn't a really catch-all treatment for them. The other thing I see a lot is patients think that because their mucus is a color other than clear, like yellow or green, that that means that's from a sinus infection. Uh, Whereas eventually the cold can morph into something like an acute sinusitis that is bacterial. Just because your mucus starts out green or yellow, that's very common with just a typical viral cold and doesn't mean that you necessarily have a bacterial illness. Well, so then that sounds like a good place to start. Dr. Allen, what symptoms tell me I have a cold and not something else? Well, as always, if you're questioning this, consult your local physician. However, good rule of thumb, if you have a low-grade fever, you have a little cough, a little congestion, sore throat, things on the milder side, it can be your cold, uh, an inconvenience, if you will. Those become more significant, and uh, you start to worry about them, then certainly have them evaluated, and they may have morphed into, as Dr. Tully just mentioned, a bacterial infection of some sort that may need a little more attention. So is there a definitive cause, Dr. Tully, or are there a number of culprits? The most common virus is the rhinovirus for the common cold, but there's hundreds of different types of viruses that can cause a cold. Typically, a cold lasts about a week, can last up to three weeks, but it should, at that week to 10 days, start getting better. When the runny nose, congestion, post-nasal drip, headache gets worse acutely at that 7 to 10-day mark, a lot of times that means that the immune system has been potentially weakened a little bit from that viral illness and potentially has set you up for a bacterial illness. But typically, there's no in most cases, role for an antibiotic within that 7 to 10-day window. How do I pick up this cold in the first place? Well, generally it's transmitted from person to person. Uh, Most of us with small children, uh, children love to bring them home from school from other children, and uh, we teach them to share, so they share with us. And uh, so so that's probably the more, more common way to get it is just being around people. There are other ways to catch them, but generally that's it. Uh, contact with surfaces that may not be, um, and I hate to call it not as clean, because they can certainly be clean and those viruses can still be transmitted sitting there. We touch a doorknob and we rub our face or we you know, eat something or what have you. We can catch them that way as well. So can I get out the spray disinfectant or should I be using the hand sanitizer? Should I get a mask? You can do all of the above and still get an infection. Oh, it's, yeah. uh, it, there, there's no guarantee and uh, those all can help minimize some infections, but overall, we're exposed to them regardless of whether we're using those or not. 
I've been hearing a lot this year about colds that just won't quit. Or you get over one, and then here comes another one. What's going on? I'll tell you, it's interesting. I can second that. I'm sure Dr. Tully can as well, that we see some of these things that just last. Uh, my impression of most of what I see in the office here today and, uh, and over the last few months has been a viral infection, maybe even a little bacterial infection that has caused some inflammation down in the lungs, and they get this dry cough that just lasts for up to 12 weeks in some cases, uh, which is a long time for that. And so I've seen these folks back, and we've tried a lot of treatment options for them. It's just one of these things that it's just got to take time to heal. And for whatever reason, it's taking a longer time this year than it typically does many years. Well, Dr. Tully, you mentioned that colds seem to sometimes have a nasty habit of morphing into something worse. Um, who is most at risk for that? So anyone who is already immune compromised is going to be at higher risk of that. Most healthy people, the virus runs its course. After a week or two, they're starting to get better, if not already completely better. And by that three-week mark, pretty much everyone returns back to baseline, except for like Dr. Allen said, with sometimes some of these chronic cough sorts of things wanting to hang on from inflammation. Definitely anyone who is older or immunocompromised, though, is going to be at higher risk. What kinds of complications are typical from a cold? So from an ENT standpoint, things that we see often are colds that develop into, like we talked about already, acute sinusitis. The other that we will see is when patients can get an ear infection or fluid. So not uncommon in young children. Their eustachian tubes aren't mature, so basically easy for the bacteria or virus in the nose to basically get into the middle ear. Those are associated with bad pain and high fevers, and so those actually do need treated with antibiotics. For an adult, it usually is not from a bacterial infection, but what happens is there's so much sinonasal inflammation from the cold that the eustachian tube gets blocked off, patients get fluid in the ears. Patients would know that would happen because they get a sudden drop in their hearing, they feel like they're underwater, hearing in a drum. Not uncommon when patients have a cold for them to feel like they need to pop their ear, a little bit of stuffiness in the ear, but they shouldn't have a sudden drop in their hearing. If that does happen, that is associated with an effusion or fluid in the ear, and that should be evaluated. Can we prevent a cold from getting into that more serious phase? The major treatment early on is with symptomatic improvement. Like Dr. Allen mentioned earlier, the cold hits patients differently. Some patients more complain about the nose symptoms. I can't breathe out of my nose. My nose is runny. Others, it's this chronic sore throat, post-nasal drip. So, you know, symptomatic control for whatever is the more prominent symptoms. What I see a lot of is patients who have really, really stuffy noses who just felt like they couldn't breathe at all, and then that puts them at potentially higher risk of blocking off their eustachian tube. So if the nose is completely blocked off and stuffy, a decongestant specifically can help prevent that from changing into developing fluid in the ear. I agree that if you treat some of these symptoms early and you get them under control, the potential for a secondary complication is reduced greatly. Sometimes you can tell a cold's coming on, but sometimes it's like somebody just hit the on switch. Is there anything I can do ahead of time to ward it off? It depends uh, what you read and who you uh, adhere to and what they say. At this point in time, there have been some 
some flimsy studies at times talking about some of the vitamins, minerals, different things we can use. Vitamin C always comes up. Zinc is another one that's a hot topic. Uh, both of those two, they some of the studies showed some benefit. I think in my case, I look at a lot of things in risk-benefit terms, and uh, the risk of taking those is very, very little. Um, sometimes it's only the wallet risk or what we're spending on them. And the benefit could be there. So I think that it's a personal decision. If you decide to use it, great. If it helps, wonderful. Are you going to know that it helps? You won't necessarily know if it's working, but if you don't get sick, hey, use it. It's okay. The other thing we always tell our patients is rinses, sinus rinses with a, just a power washer sinus rinse. Wonderful when you have a cold or a sinusitis, but great all the time. It just flushes any sort of uh, mucus or inflammation out of the nose. And there hasn't been great studies to show it can actually prevent a cold, but can kind of help flush everything out for when you start feeling those first symptoms. Can anybody use that? Yes. Just make sure you use distilled water, not tap water. And once you've opened your distilled water, this is my what I've wondered, once you've opened your distilled water, is it still safe? As opposed to, say, ta- I know tap water has stuff in it, but distilled water, if you, once I've opened a what I'm hoping was a sterile situation, um, is it still safe? Yeah. We have patients with chronic sinus issues who rinse their nose once or twice a day, every single day, and they'll buy big jugs of distilled water. So it's fine even once it's been open. You mentioned power washers. I'm familiar with pots, but what is a power washer? So it's basically a cousin to the neti pot where um, most people find it easier to use. It's like a large volume squeeze bottle, and it basically is high volume, flushes the nose in one side, out the other, a lot easier to use than the pot. The one thing you do need to be careful about is not setting yourself up for transmitting viruses and bacteria back to yourself. So these rinse bottles, whether using the pot or the bottle, need to go through the dishwasher at least once a week, and you need to make sure you're getting a new bottle or pot at least once a month. You talked about uh, medications, certain over-the-counter medications that can help with symptom relief, but isn't it true that people on certain other more serious medications shouldn't be taking those usual over-the-counter yeah, I would I would say yes. There are certainly Sudafed is a or any of the decongestants, Sudafed, one of the more common ones, are phenomenal medications for clearing up some of these symptoms. Just be careful when you're taking them if you have high blood pressure or some of these other chronic illnesses that may exacerbate some of those or make those numbers lower. You have a little high blood pressure and you're taking one of these medications, that's what you're left with, and your blood pressure runs high for a little while, I'm okay as long as it stays under decent control. You don't want to take Sudafed every day, and you don't want to drive those up every day, but this is one of the more common indications we see there. Um, there are other ones out there. You talk about folks that are diabetic, and some of the cough medicines have a little sugar in them, and they get back and forth. Really, I think it's very negligible, but nonetheless, there are things to watch out for if you have chronic conditions. Be cognizant of what you're putting in your body. I have a friend who has that situation, mm-hmm. cannot take any of the cold medications, mm-hmm. and routinely ends up with bronchitis. Yeah. So, in, what, is this poor, what does this poor person do? In situations such as that, um, my treatment options usually are, if I know that that's the case with the patient, I'd have the patient call me early. As soon as they feel those symptoms coming on, let me know. There are some medications we can use that, are, that will help, and we just have to monitor them. We have to make sure that they're, they're being used appropriately. But there are medications that, as physicians, we can use that uh, will help them in those situations. Do you want people coming in with colds? 
It, uh, it really depends on your outlook. So for me as a physician, if it's going to be something that I can improve or I can keep from getting worse by them seeing me, absolutely I want them in here. Do I want them in here to get other people sick? It's a catch-22. I don't want the, uh, the virus spreading, but at the same time, if it's something that I can do to help them, I want to be able to help them. You both see a lot of sick people. What are your go-to techniques for avoiding colds? Hand hygiene, hand hygiene, hand hygiene. <laughs> so uh, the foam in, foam out rule is actually, that's why we have the rule. So we Say that again? What we is, what is use it? the sanitizing hand foam before and after every single patient. Obviously, we do it all the time, but especially during cold and flu time, our medical assistants are very diligent about wiping down everything in the room, including the computer keys and you know anything that you would touch because, as Dr. Allen said, these are transmitted from person to person, but also person to object to person. So keeping your hands clean, trying to avoid touching your nose and your mouth can also help. I'm not sure if Dr. Slay mentioned it, but hand hygiene is important. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and any kind of cleaner for hand hygiene? We typically, as Dr. Tully mentioned, we use the foam here in the offices. Um, still, soap and water is, is fine as well, but uh, we tend to use the foaming stuff here just because we're, we're washing our hands or hand hygiene is very important here, and we do it quite often. It's a little easier on the hands at that point. Uh, but uh, as far as topical, you know, Lysol and some of these other things that we use as well, you don't want to use those on your hands, but for cleaning objects, some of those work well. Uh, some of the advertising is a little misnomer. I mean, killing 99.9% .9 of the germs. It's great to hear that. It's a great number. There still means there's a lot of germs there, though. So just be careful with those. Hand hygiene. Do you have any sense of how long those germs are living on those doorknobs? There's studies have been done on that for a long time, and there are many, many different varying life cycles on those, those bacteria and those, those viruses. You would be amazed at how long some of them can live there and sometimes how short they survive outside of a, a host or a human body. As far as distinct, accurate representations of exactly how long they are, it can run the gamut, anywhere from seconds to well, years at times. So. so wipe it down, wipe it down, wipe it down. Absolutely. Do either of you have a favorite home remedy, if you do get a cold, that works for you? I practice what I preach. I rinse my nose pretty regularly with a sinus rinse. So um, I found that for me that that helps. Um, I have family members who swear by the zinc and love that. I haven't tried that myself personally. I, I do. I actually use the sinus rinses as well. Um, they, uh, they work very well to kind of control symptoms. And then sometimes if things are really stuffy, steam baths, things like that work very well as well. Well, we hope our listeners will be breathing easy for the rest of the winter, but should a cold strike, this is really great to know information. And we thank our guests today, Dr. Laura Tully, ear, nose, and throat specialist with Premier ENT Associates, and Dr. Joseph Allen, primary care physician with Vandalia Family Care. If you want to know more, visit premierhealth.com slash health now. We'll be back, and we hope you will. I'm Leslie Lane. Thanks for joining us, and watch for our next edition of Premier Health Now on air.